Welcome to Mystical Musings in the Library of Colorado Heights University, beaming out from the highest point in the Mile High City with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today, creating our community of mystics. People who seek to obtain unity with the deity, the great spirit, the I am, Adonai, the gentle whisper, Ahura Mazda, the breath of life, Allah. We are the community of mystics who believe and know the spiritual apprehension of truths beyond the intellect. I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. Today we are emptying ourselves that we may receive the bounty promised in the coming shift of consciousness. What do we do with this abundance in terms of blessing the world, especially in the face of such recent devastation and tragedy in our own country? What is called for now is evoking radical, radical grace through inner silence and meditation and at the right time, right action. Thank you for joining us in exploring mystic practices for the giving of the gifts we receive. How do we uplevel our practice of spiritual generosity? Welcome. Welcome today to our sharing such approaches to generosity as a quantum way of praying for others. Also an elegant technique involving mystic giving and balancing spiritual receiving and spiritual giving. This and more compri comprises our preparation for the winter solstice of 2012. But first, before we go into it, we need to get here a little more. You guys are getting very practiced at getting here. It's really an extraordinary group that way. We just settle in and it happens faster and deeper than ever. But there's still a little bit left, I think, a bit in our faces because the face, we face reality with our faces. So the face needs a little help in dropping in, coming into the center, getting here. So if you would, just allow yourself to let the left corner of your mouth pull all the way over to the left and make a sound. And all the way over to the right. And to the left. One more to the right. Good. Okay, so there's a little awakening that's starting now. Now, if you can, get creative for a moment, and I don't care what direction you go in, but let your lips form a circle as you do this. So it'll look something like and then make a sound with that circle. Now keep doing that for a moment and feel it in your belly. A little louder. This is a weak rope here. Come on now. Great. Thank you. Now just sense with your eyes closed for a second and just feel your face.
the origin of the word generosity is itself very rich, very generous. Generosity is the habit of giving without expecting anything in return. A giving of time, assets, talents to aid someone in need. Often equated with charity as a virtue, generosity is widely accepted in society as a desirable trait. Not solely based on one's economic status, but includes the individual's pure intentions of looking out for society's common good and giving from the heart. Generosity reflects the individual's passion to help others. In Islam, the Quran states that whenever we give away generously with the intention of pleasing God, God will replace what we have given. God knows what is in our hearts. In Buddhism, generosity is one of the ten perfections and is the antidote to the self-chosen poison of greed. The modern English word generosity derives from the Latin generosus, which means of noble birth. The Latin stem, gener, means kin, clan, race, stock, with the root meaning to beget. The same root gives us the words genesis, gender, genital, gentle, genealogy, genius. Most recorded English uses of the word generous up to and include uh, during the 16th century reflect an aristocratic sense of being of noble lineage or high birth. To be generous was literally a way of being noble. During the 17th century, however, the meaning and the use of the word began to change. Generosity came increasingly to identify not with literal family heritage, but a nobility of spirit thought to be associated with high birth. That is with various admirable qualities that could now vary from person to person, depending not on family history, but on whether a person actually possessed these qualities. In this way, generosity became democratized and increasingly came into the 17th century to signify a variety of traits of character and action historically associated, whether accurate or not, with the nobility. Gallantry, courage, strength, richness, gentleness, fairness. In addition to describing these diverse human qualities, generous became a word during this period used to describe fertile land, the strength of animal breeds, abundant provisions of food, vibrancy of colors, the strength of liquor, and the potency of medicine. Then during the 18th century, the meaning of generosity continued to evolve in directions denoting the more specific contemporary meaning of munificence, open-handedness, and liberality in the giving of money and possessions to others. This more specific meaning came to dominate English usage by the 19th century. Over the last five centuries in the English-speaking world, generosity developed from being primarily the description of an ascribed status pertaining to the elite to being an achieved mark of admirable personal quality an action capable of being exercised in theory by any person who has learned virtue and noble character. And thus nobility of generosity moves from the exclusive province of the few to the potential vastness of the many. Humanity awakens in many ways. Now that we've gotten our thinking minds wrapped a little bit around generosity, Let's get here in our embodiment as well. What overflows in your heart, in general or right now? Sometimes or not. What are you blessed with in abundance from which generosity might flow? Whether that be a particular quality, a talent, money, some other form of wealth. 
what generosity, what grace might you request from the universe and be willing to give to it? Often in the spiritual traditions, there's the prayer and the hands, the mudra. So if we allow our hands to just come a little bit apart so that you can, some of you, feel the field being emanated by your hands. And one way you can facilitate the feeling of that is to let the hands move a little closer and a little farther. And then let the hands, fingers, be very soft, not hard, not straight out, but just very soft, softening the hand and letting your hand go a little bit in and a little bit out. So you can just tune into the field that we emanate constantly. And, you know, from this place of the prayer at the heart, often, we might want to give that in the fullness out to our universe. And just notice the inevitability of gravity is that the hands start to sink. And you might create a little bit of a circle with both hands where you come up to this place where your heart fills and it fills and it fills and you're giving and you can give that fullness out to the universe. And at some point, an inflection point, the hands start to drop. Now you may still be giving here. You may be giving. And then at some point, you start to take it in. And maybe now you're receiving. Maybe you're giving to yourself. There's no set rules in how this happens. We can make it up as we go. And you're just allowing yourself, feeling the vibrancy of your hands, to feel as if there is a filling. And it fills and comes up through you. And you can feel it up through your spine. And it comes into your heart. And then you're giving it out to the world giving it back to God, Great Spirit. And in the slowness of the movement, we help to sacralize it. So we make it sacred. We borrow from the Tai Chi. And if you choose not to do this, that's cool. Just do it in your mind. Just think it. But if you can, when you're going down, you're going to round your back just a tiny little bit. And when you're coming back up, at some point the back reverses and you're starting to arch. And here it is, you're giving out from your heart and you're giving back to the universe. And then you're receiving what the universe is giving you. One last little addition is to integrate your breathing. Let your breath be a little more full. Let your neck extend out a little bit so you're arching at the neck. We all so often hold and get fixated in our heads. And so you have this whole body action of this giving into receiving and receiving into giving. And the receiving goes into giving at a point you're not even sure when it happens. It's just sort of magic. And then the receiving, receiving translates into the giving. And again, the inflection point, and it translates out of giving into receiving with yet a deeper breath. And then maybe to close your eyes if they've been open and allow this action to be felt all the way through your body so that you're giving generously to yourself with smaller movements, but movements that are fundamental, both in terms of the movement of the spine and the head, coordinated with the breath and the hands. You're giving and receiving. I respect the mystic divinity within each of you, within each of us, 
Namaste. Thank you so much for bringing not only your bodies here today, but also your presence. It is a beautiful field for us to feel, and we are sort of mystical musings junkies because we love the energy that's generated by your open hearts and your open minds when you come here to join us in evoking the divine presence to come into our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. So thank you so much for being here.
sitting now with our eyes closed, sitting in your own radiance, in your own radiance. Sitting now in your own magnificence. Sitting now in the blue flame of protection. Sitting now in the rose pink flame of unconditional love. Sitting now in the emerald green flame of healing. Sitting now in the gold and purple flame of resurrection. Sitting now in the crystal pure white light of ascension. Sitting now in the violet flame of transformation. Sitting now in your own radiance. Sitting now in your own magnificence. know this movement that we just started with you can do this movement in the bigger way that we were doing it today you can do it in a really small way and you can do it in your mind you can think it so that there's internal bending extending with the spine internal softening so you can think it to integrate the body when you're listening to lots of words There are 32 days left. <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. <laughs> there are 32 days left until the winter solstice 2012, the Mayan date that signals the completion of an era of conflict and the beginning of a movement towards synergy, cooperation, a birthing of a new collective consciousness for humanity. As we approach Thanksgiving and the beginning of the holidays, our getting better organized in the space-time matrix, our often disregarded cosmic grid for embodiment, is greatly facilitated by Lynn McTaggart's wonderful book, The Bond. A good deal of research shows that all living beings, including humans, have been hardwired to seek connection above virtually any other impulse, even at personal cost. Despite our current paradigm of traditional science, with a view of the universe as a place of scarcity, populated by separate things that turn against each other in order to survive, and we simply assume that's life. It's becoming clear that the lives we've chosen to lead society in general, and our science are not consistent with who we really are. 
Indigenous cultures experience the universe as an indivisible whole, a central belief and experience that breeds an extraordinarily different way of seeing and interacting with the world, essentially believing and experiencing that they are in relationship with all of life, even the earth itself. We tend to see the thing. They see the relationship. They see the glue, not the individual. The glue as the focus. The relationship is primary and the relationship is a thing unto itself. We seem in so many ways to operate against the world, constantly vigilant. The hero up against it all, all based upon one fundamental egoic error that eclipses spiritual generosity. That the lived daily experience, this self of mine, I, exists as a separate entity. A unique genetic code that lives apart from everything else our individual hearts beating alone. The paradigm of competitive individualism locked in a heroic struggle for dominion over a hostile world. Factory workers of the Industrial Revolution following the rhythms of the machine, no longer of nature. Justified in their, our separation, both economically and scientifically, by Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations and Darwin's Origin of Species. Hence the struggle for existence and Darwin's unleashing the meme, life as war and as dominion over all else. Consequently, for more than 300 years, our worldview has been shaped by a story that describes isolated beings competing for survival on a lonely planet in an indifferent universe. Life is defined by modern science as essentially predatory, self-serving and solitary. This is one of the reasons we are together here today. Mystics have an innate, generous, spiritual urge to merge with the depths and the heights of profound relationship. As we've spoken of in earlier musings, quantum physics offers us an, the amazing possibilities that all life exists in a dynamic relationship of cooperation all manner existing in a vast quantum web of connection, a radically connected and therefore spiritually generous foundation for life. Not a struggle for dominion, but an irrepressible urge for wholeness, a core premise of which is that nothing in the world is separate and basically there is no such thing as a thing. On the quantum level, despite our science classifying everything as separate and individual, at the most rudimentary level, individuality does not exist. What exists is not solid reality, but the space between. The indivisible relationships between things. But we mystics have known this for millennia. The bond we make between our inner and outer worlds is so powerful that it can also have a positive effect the bond, stirred, not shaken, gently, inexorably evoked, can even compensate for a bad genetic hand. Genes are not necessarily destiny. Ultimately, it is difficult to consider our universe as anything other than a unified whole. We can begin to take charge of our own destiny only when we consider the bond in its entirety as a superorganism, completely interrelated. And as such, new science is coming to the awareness of how profoundly interwoven everything is with everything else. For example, there are reams of documented research that demonstrates that the geomagnetic activity of the sun directly affects life on Earth. This remarkable sense of the bond our inherent interrelationship with the world and the sun is revealed in the makeup of our very neurology regarding emotions. When you see someone smile or grimace, as far as our brains is, are concerned, it is you who are happy or disturbed. Our understanding of our world occurs through the constant melding of the observer with the observed. This being both quantum mechanics and 
aware everyday life. The physical body, the thing to which we attribute most of our individuality, is created through so many complex interactions with its environment that it cannot be considered to exist independently. So it can be said that what drives evolving humanity is not the individual gene, but the bond we make with the world. And regarding the world, most of us have learned unconsciously to fear and be anxious. But what research shows us is that we can change this and fairly quickly by, amongst other ways, Buddhist compassionate meditation. The extraordinary social learning that has come out of the world's hotspots of conflict reveals that the emphasis has to move away from who is wrong and who is right into who is wounded and how to heal. Neurological discoveries reveal our constant impulse is to merge. An individual understands action outside of him or herself by recreating it within so that the observer undergoes the experience of the observed. Even the most introverted of us creates an immediate and involuntary connection. Everything from subatomic particles to single cell organisms to the most distant stars in the galaxy are all part of an indivisible bond. The bond stirred, not shaken, gently, inexorably evoked. It is this awareness of our already innate bond that is now emerging into the collective consciousness as we birth this new awareness on the solstice. Thank you for the bond, Ms. McTaggart. Thank you, life. Thank you, fellow mystics. I respect the divinity within each of you. Namaste. I am turning to our old friend Hafiz for some uh, very deep wisdom about generosity. I want to just follow up with what you said with a great little poem by Hafiz. A hunting party sometimes has a greater chance of flushing love and God out into the open than a warrior all alone. So I love the emphasis you gave on doing this together. We are all in this together. We are all creating whatever is to come in terms of the consciousness wave we expect. Now, I want to just follow up on another thing with you to show the effectiveness of it. Is we are like waves on the ocean, right? The ocean is God, and we're just waving out from God. And we're always in motion. If we get stuck in that wave, we might drown. We have to, well, we'll certainly go to sleep. We arrest our development anytime we don't see the flow going out. So I just want to make one little demonstration here. So I'm going to demonstrate with you, Bob. So if I pray for you, I want to pray for you, okay? I'm just going to be in the ocean, and I'm just going to send some of the ocean your way. So if I go like that, do you feel that? Definitely. Definitely. Feel that, Mitchell? Of course. Of course, right? Honestly, you can try this at home. Very safe. Yeah, oh, that felt good. Thank you. All right, would everyone just give me a wave, please? Oh, wow. Okay, thank you so much. And back to you. So, a hunting party sometimes has a greater chance of fleshing love and God out into the open than a warrior all alone. I notice there's really this meme in the society right now, in American society, we are all in this together. Right, we, I heard that a lot um, in the Hurricane Sandy aftermath. It's even in an ad from Macy's. We are all in this together. My friend Roger Teal did his sermon at Mile High Church of Religious Science on we are all in this together. So we are moving together to an opening. And when we think of it that way, it's easier always for us to have a more effective prayer and do a more effective wave. 
Now, when I am waving this out, am I waving myself out? Well, I don't think so. I think I'm, that would really be very limiting, extremely limiting. Now, I'm waving out the spirit that comes through me, right? The spirit that's within me has nothing to do with my personality. This is why it's really my favorite way to pray. So Carla's mother is going through a difficult time right now, and I will help her mother because I'll go like that to her mother. Right? Let's do that for Carla's mother, Sarah. Right? This will help her. This will help her. And you can do it throughout the day. It's really a wonderful thing to do. Now, my morning prayer has changed under the influence of Hafiz, the first thing I say in the morning, which is one of his shorter poems. God, what love mischief can we do for the world today? <laughs> what love mischief? You know, first of all, that lightens us up. And if we're serious, we're either in grief or some difficult feeling. But most often we're in our ego, right? That ego takes things so seriously. Ego has no sense of humor and everything's so difficult and we are so spiritual. I mean, <laughs> so love mischief means that I may sneak up behind you and do this and you'll never know that I did it. Or I can sit in my office and think, who would I like to sneak up on today? Right? <laughs> Just some love mischief. That's what I want to keep going. Uh, I think about generosity often in terms of how we are with one another, as well as how, how we are with ourselves. And what does it mean to be generous to another person? I mean, from the mystical perspective, we know what generosity is, ordinary generosity. We help people when they need it. We send a check to the Red Cross. But what is the mystical generosity? Mystical generosity is when I bring my presence to you. And when I open to your presence and when I listen to you. Now, if we are in our egos and someone comes and says, ah, I had the greatest hike today. It was fantastic. The ego immediately goes through its files of great hikes so it can tell you about an even greater hike that I had, right? So we're not present. We go into our stories, right? So generosity is bringing your real presence. So this poem really says it all. Let your intelligence begin to rule whenever you sit with others. Intelligence is the self, not the ego, okay? Using this sane idea, leave all your cocked guns in a field far from us. One of those damn things might go off. <laughs> okay. And one of those damn things is going to be your stories, right? That you're going to get into your head, and then I'm no longer with you if I'm in my head. Right? And so for the mystic, what we want to bring is our generosity of listening. Of listening. And our generosity of giving the person to whom we are relating the very deep understanding that she or he is perfect the way they are right now. That's the most generous thing a mystic can bring to you. You are a perfect thought of God. You will not improve yourself if you get on my path. You will not improve yourself if you become a mystic or a Baptist or a Hare Krishna or a Scientologist, you are perfect the way you are. That's the mystic's message and that's the presence we bring. So Hafiz writes, 
How do I listen to others? As if everyone were my master, speaking to me his cherished last words. How do I listen to others as if everyone were my master, speaking to me his cherished last words? That's being in our presence. And as Lawrence pointed out, the true generosity of the mystic is the generosity that does not expect anything in return. If it expects something in return, we're not in our presence, we're not in our heart, and we're not in our generosity. We are in our stinginess. And it's, that means we are in our egos because our egos are inherently stingy. And it's important to notice when we're being stingy with our energy. So in the presence of others, just being noble, open, bringing our genuine self there, we are being very, very generous. If God invited you to a party and said, everyone in the ballroom will be my special guest, how would you then treat them when you arrived? Indeed, indeed. And Hafiz knows there is no one in this world who is not upon his jeweled dance floor. Now, the qu question I ask myself is, how can I easily, as you know, I'm the original lazy man's guide to enlightenment. So how can I easily, how can I easily remind myself to be in that kind of presence? I've said it to you before, and it thrills me that Hafiz said it when, I expect he got it from me. <laughs> Greatness is always built up on this foundation the ability to appear, speak, and act as the most common man. As I've said in here many times, if I will just say to myself, be an ordinary guy, just be an ordinary guy, that really helps me. I notice I walk and I'm really, you know, I'm more relaxed. With I'm with someone and I'm just being an ordinary guy, then I can communicate with them. And it doesn't matter if they've never heard of the word mysticism or spirituality or God. But if I'm there in my ordinariness, then my separateness, the separateness of the ego and the specialness of the ego don't come up. And when we're in that separate special place, we are not in a place of generosity. We're in a place of stinginess. So, it's so easy for me to say that to myself and watch my reaction. I have to keep saying it throughout the day, but I keep saying it in my mind. It's an ordinary guy, it's a regular guy, that's all there is, okay? I'm no more on the jewel dance floor than you are, right? We all are that. So that's a great, a great uh, method of being generous and shifting into that place in our hearts that's generous. How did the rose ever open its heart and give to this world all its beauty? It felt the encouragement of light against its being. Otherwise, we all remain too frightened. Another reason in our prayers to even conceive that I am with all of you, if I conceive that I'm with all of you and I'm with everyone ultimately in the planet, if I can do that and bring that in, which is really not that hard to do, then that takes away a lot of fear. Fear is when we feel separate, we feel like we don't belong, we feel that there's something wrong with us. But when we think, okay, I'm just another person on the jewel dance floor, right? And I'm dancing with everyone there. I don't have just one partner, I have a lot of partners on the jewel dance floor that brings me into a place of generosity. Now, the one thing that we know can really obstruct generosity 
is the madman inside us. And this is what Hafiz says. There is a madman inside of you who is always running for office. Why vote him in? For he never keeps the account straight. He gets all kinds of crooked deals happening all over town that will just give you a big headache and glue to your kisser a gigantic confused frown. Okay? Gigantic confused frown. And there's something literal about that that I think is important, which is when we pray, it's extremely important to do two things, to smile and look up, okay? This is the way we were taught. So this, this is, shows us how to get into our sin, okay? This is a sinful gesture. When you look down, you're looking down into your fear, your anger, so forth and so on. It's good NLP, and it's really simple. Just look up, smile, and pray, okay? It's a great way to do that. The madman does not want you to do that. So know that the madman is a part of us that is the monkey mind, and that it obstructs our generosity if we're just running those tapes all the time. So the easiest way to get out of those tapes is smile, look up, take a good breath, Okay, let's all do that once. Okay, smile, look up, breath. Okay, now do you feel that wave of lightness that just came over? It's so important to be light. So important to have a light heart as we approach the solstice. I mean, really, be light, be playful about it. It's extremely important and it'll keep you from pacing for 32 days. <laughs> Some of you know that Lawrence and I rarely talk about what we're doing at home because we like to be surprised by what the other is doing. I mean, we have an initial conversation. So I really love the, this that comes back in. That's the giving and the receiving, right? So it's just as important if we're doing this, to do some of this too, right? This is a great one and you can do it all day long. You can do it in the sauna. You can do it in the gym. Just get yourself up on that machine, right? <laughs> you can do it in disguise, but the way in disguise. And so the way um, Hafiz speaks about it is this. When no one is listening, as no one is looking, and I want to kiss God, I just lift my own hand to my mouth and kiss it. <laughs> it's a great one. So, um, just remember in these 32 days that you and God can create some tremendous love mischief on the planet and just think about it every day. What love mischief, mischief can you and I create today? So let's have fun and be lighthearted as we move to what we want to be, a beautiful unfolding of mystical consciousness. Namaste.
representing a generosity of possibility where none seemed likely. This month's candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. Open dissent and criticism, civic rights that we take for granted, have been up until very recently very rare in Saudi Arabia, one of the Middle East societies least touched by the Arab Spring. Even the royal family, once immune to criticism, are now subject to commonplace broadsides. Prominent judges, lawyers, criticize large-scale government corruption and social neglect. Women share diatribes directed at clerics who limit their freedoms. All this dissent is taking place because of Twitter. And thus our candidate this month for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. <laughs> Saudi Arabia is home to the world's fastest growing Twitter zone with almost 3 million users. Says one young Saudi lawyer of the Twitter zone, it's a true parliament where people of all political sides can meet and speak freely. This in a country where public entertainment and street life, let alone protests, barely exists. Twitter has helped expose a remarkable depth of anger toward the royal family. The story of one Saudi human being is worth repeating from a recent New York Times article. The most flagrant criticism of the royal family by far has come from a single mysterious individual named Mujtahid, which means studious. Starting last year, Mujtahid began posting sensational and richly detailed accusations about corrupt arms deals construction boondoggles, and backroom power plays involving numerous royals, including the king. He often writes directly to the Twitter accounts of the alleged malefactor. Studious continues, is it true that your new house that costs $1 billion, but you charge $6 billion and pocketed the rest? This is incomprehensible in a culture just a year ago. He recently wrote directly to Prince Abdul Aziz bin Fad of the royal family. And while there is no way to verify his claims, the royal family takes him seriously, seriously enough to write heated denials. <laughs> Studious now has, get this, 660,000 followers. Just feel that awesome, incipient sense of spirit awakening. And in this case, aided and abetted by technology, in particular, social media. Incredible. Whew. These urges toward freedom and awakening profoundly spiritual, generous emotions actually are beginning to be carried over into the traditional media in Saudi Arabia, where columnists and talk show hosts have become much more assertive with their government criticisms. But it is Twitter that drives the conversation, including this poignancy. One Twitterer, Twitterer <laughs> writes the public prison diary. An incarcerated man posting from a cell phone that is occasionally smuggled into his cell. He has 85,000 followers. A recent message, it's, it's as if Hafiz were in this prison cell, except it's not so funny. If you see a prisoner sleeping, do not wake him up. He might be dreaming of freedom. With awe and wonder, we watch in real time the unfolding flower of consciousness via, of all things, the Twitter sphere. This month's candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation.
Now the next piece and the completing piece for today, what a privilege, what a privilege it is to be with you. I would invite those of you who wish to uh, explore this further to do so, and you can do it larger, smaller, or in your mind, or not at all. But you might want to let your eyes close. These are the top 10 things about our own immense spiritual generosity inherent in the space-time matrix. That which most of us tend to forget from time to time. I choose to be here and I know what I'm doing. There are no tests and I'm not being judged. We are all doing our best with what we know. I already have whatever it is I'm looking for. I am of the divine, pure God, and so is everyone else. Religion needs spirituality. Spirituality does not need religion. We are naturally inclined to succeed at everything we do. We happen to life. Life does not happen to us. Order Healing, love, belie every moment of chaos, pain, and fear. Following my heart is the best way to be spiritually generous with others. The truth sets us free. the foregoing courtesy of the universe at tattut.com. We will meet here next on December the 9th and then go into our calendar <clears throat> in January through May. However, a number of you have inquired about the solstice. What we would propose is that at 12 p.m. on 12-21-12, on the solstice, Wednesday, I believe. Friday? Friday. I beg your pardon. 12-21-12, 12 p.m the winter solstice for a non-local meditation welcoming the transformation welcoming the end of one era and the opening to another welcoming the birthing of a new humanity in each of our hearts 
and within the collective consciousness. 12 p.m. on 12-21-12, sitting both locally and non-locally with our mystic community. Namaste. And so we will want to connect with one another at 12 o'clock on that day, at noon on that day. Just imagine being with the community and then sending out our prayers for transformation. So uh, that's a way we can all be together and, uh, and flush out more God and more love than a single warrior can. While being mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, thank you so much. Yeah, Nathani is the third member of our team, and we are very, very blessed to have him. As some of you have detected, I'm still ambivalating about social media. <laughs> the ambivalence continues today. However, if you are so moved, if you would like us on Facebook, thank you. There is a Mystical Musing page that needs updating. <laughs> But please feel free to like us. Thank you. You can also, if you like, visit our website at onebodyspirit.net. It's on our card. And maybe hold hands. So as we welcome the divine spirit to flow through us and out from us, blessing all the kingdoms on the planet and the planet herself. We go to our hearts feeling joy for one another, feeling joy that we do not have to walk the spiritual path by ourselves, that we have so many fellow travelers. So we send that gratitude out into all the world and sending it out so that everyone can have a wonderful day of gratitude on Thanksgiving Day and that those who are hungry will be fed and those that are lonely will be loved. And now letting go our hands and facing the window, let's wave out our love to the world. And now wave the love into ourselves. Great love mischief today, guys. <laughs> <laughs>